You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This show was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. Thanks for listening. And welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. On this show, we talk with scientists, educators, fishermen, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, kids, authors, and more, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the blue ocean. So we're here at Ocean Currents, and I bring this show to you monthly from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Just offshore of the KWMR listening area on the West Marin Coast are the Greater Farallons and Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuaries, which together protect 4,581 square miles of rocky shorelines, sandy seafloors, rocky banks, and deep-sea canyons and maritime, maritime artifacts. There is a wave of change and involvement afoot, and it's led by youth. Across sectors of our biggest societal challenges, youth are making strides and getting their voices heard while participating in civics and directly learning about the power of one's voice. Heirs to Our Oceans is a rising tide of young leaders around the globe who are taking the ocean crisis into their own hands. They are educating themselves and others, bringing hope and solutions to the surface and creating waves of change that will ensure the health of our blue planet for their generation and for future generations. They are not PhDs, master's levels, or even high school graduates yet, but they are demonstrating how passionate and directed voices matter. Heirs to our oceans are the next generation and the future generations who will inherit this planet and all that comes with it after our generation is done with it. So today I'm thrilled to welcome two of the youth members of Heirs and one of the founders, Charlie April and Ashlyn, Clark. So I want to have each of you actually introduce yourselves on the air. Tell us where you're from, your favorite ocean animal, and your focus area for airs. There we go. Welcome. Thank you. My name is Charlie Peebler. I am from Airs to Our Oceans, and I work on coral, derelict fishing gear, and issues that come with recycling. Excellent. Uh, my name is Ashlyn Clark. I'm 12 years old. I'm from Pescadero. My favorite sea animal has to be the orca because they're so beautiful and smart. And I'm focusing on marine protected areas and ocean policy. Wonderful. Hi, my name is April Peebler. I'm executive director of Airs to Our Oceans and one of the founding family members. And I don't think I have one favorite sea animal. <laughs> I think I adore them all, but octopus are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, octopus are my favorite. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, it is so exciting to finally have you on the air. I've, you know, I learned about airs a couple years ago with the Ocean Film Festival and was like, what is this group all about? And I'm so thrilled to have you here. And it's just great to have youth that are really leading the way. So thanks for coming all the way up to Point Reyes. Let's just hear a little bit the beginnings. Tell us, how did AIRS form? And maybe, maybe April, this is for you. Talk us a little bit through that. How did AIRS form? And tell us about the beginnings. So the very beginnings go back to my, along with so many other families who I think have gone rogue in the world of education, realizing that the school systems were not situating our kids in the best 
place for them to deal with what they were going to be inheriting. So when my kids were pre-K and K, um, after trying out many schools, I extracted them from schools, left my practice, and decided to adopt my own learning model where I started working with small groups. And it was an interdisciplinary learning model where all themes tied to, uh, I'm sorry, all subject matters tied to the theme of solving a real world issue. And so that's how my kids came to grow up was various themes through the years from human rights issues and how to feed a planet in 2050 of 9 billion. Um, so food issues and all kinds of processing through the years. And three years ago, we lived near the coast in the peninsula of the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, my daughter, who's always had, both of them have always had an affinity for the ocean, but one in particular said, we need to have a year of solving the ocean problems. And so that blossomed into customizing classes to prepare them for then going on the next year and actually not processing the problems, but instead going out and doing something. So classes were formed with Marine Science Institute and with naturalists and Cal Academy of Sciences and Monterey Bay Aquarium. And then we formed with a group of about 11 what we call now founding heirs, this collective of kids who were passionate about ocean issues and formed a 501c3, Heirs to Our Oceans. And so that group of founding heirs were kids who do not learn in brick and mortar, but instead learn their writing, their math, their science. It's It feeds their focus areas, which are areas of passion, incredibly important for successful education. It has to be something they're interested in. And so each of the kids have a particular human impact or resource or policy-oriented, um, marine policy-oriented work that they're focused on. That's fantastic. And what's the youngest heir and the oldest heir? So I'm glad you asked that because most important to us was to have done this at, at a, what I think is the sweet spot in terms of a child able to really absorb and process yet still have this incredible fire um, and, and their trajectory is, is not yet determined. And so we found that the middle school age period was such a sweet spot. And so the founding heirs were ages 10 to 13. And now, two years later, we now have some that are freshmen in, in high school, although they're with the founding years, like I said, they're not in brick and mortar schools, um, but age, age-wise, so 14, 15. But still at our international camp, we still have them as young as, as nine. Yeah, there's a there's a wonderful tween middle school period that I, I, I hope our system can adjust and recognize the um, opportunity yes. for kids to start processing this creative creative thinking, problem solving, and critical thinking skills, not wait until it's an elective in university. Fantastic. What an amazing model for education that you're putting t- at work and bringing others into. That's fantastic. Let's hope it's applied at all public schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm involved in the school system right now. I'm a parent, too, and it's, it's really interesting coming uh, in with a young in and and seeing what's happening and trying yeah. to figure out what's the right path for our, our young learners. Yeah. So you're all involved in the ocean. That's fantastic. So, Ashlyn, tell, tell us how you got, what was your passion to getting into airs? And what was the first thing? That, was it the orcas or a specific topic that brought you into it? Well, uh, the April's daughter, Dakota, who had the idea of starting this organization, was my friend. We took a marine science to get class together, so I was invited to join. And I decided to join because I've lived by the ocean for my entire life. And I've played on the beach with my little brother for as long as I could remember. And I love sea stars as well. And I used to go tide pooling all the time, and I used to see tons of sea stars everywhere. And then one day, they just all started disappearing. 
Today, I know that was because of a disease called sea star wasting syndrome, which is happening from Alaska to Mexico. But then I was like, why are all the sea stars disappearing? This is awful. I need to save them. I need to save the oceans because that's so important to my health, my little brother's health, and eventually all our children. What did you learn about the sea star wasting event that happened? Uh, Sea star wasting syndrome happened, I think it started happening in 2013 or 2015, and it's probably caused by climate change, and it's turning the sea stars into this goop. (laughs) And they're dying, and it's so gross. I've seen so many goopy sea stars that I definitely need to start working to save them, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of work happening to monitor the sea stars up and Mm -hmm. down. I've been learning a little bit about that, too. Have you been seeing any new sea stars? I've heard some sea stars are on the rebound. Yeah, I have been starting to notice, like, a few sea stars. Every once in a while, I'll see them, and that gives me hope for the future. That's fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of resilience, it seems, that we can put a lot of hope on when we start to see that. From my understanding is that they were really putting the cues around temperature as a Mm -hmm. cue for this potential disease that went up and down, and, and they don't know exactly what caused it, but... Temperature Mm -hmm. was definitely involved, and that is definitely a a potential change here with climate change. Charlie, how about you? You are, I take it, the executive director's daughter? Yes, so I've always been near the ocean my entire life, but I think the real deal-breaker for me was definitely aquariums. If you bring me to an aquarium, I will ignore you, and (laughs) I will look at the fish. The fish are more interesting to me than you are when I'm in an aquarium. So... I went to the California Academy of Sciences, one of my absolute favorite places, and they have a giant Pacific octopus there. And when I was five, I got to see the octopus, and that was incredible to me. I was, like, mind-blown. These animals are very, very fascinating. And then, in 2016, uh, actually almost exactly two years from now, it was in May, I was at the tide pools with my cousin, and we were looking for a small nudibranch, so that's a sea slug, um, called the Hopkins Rose. It's the most hot pink you will ever see in nature. It's, it's small, it's about the size of your thumbnail, but it is very bright pink. And I found one, and it turned out there was an octopus right nearby, and it was a California two-spot octopus. And wow. it was one of the smaller oct- octopods, I guess. Um, and it came out from underneath this boulder it was the tentacles were probably about one and a half feet long at most and it started squirting water at us and it was turning from like this pebbly gray to smooth red and back again and it was just an incredible experience it was amazing we have a video um and i think that was the moment i kind of fell in love with the ocean realized wow these creatures are really special i really want to protect these creatures um yeah, I guess that's really my story. <laughs> Thank you. Two-spot octopus up here? Yeah, so it was at the Pillar Point Tide Pools. Oh. So it was kind of Half Moon Bay. Yeah, yeah, I think they're more of a Southern California species, so yeah. already I'm like, oh, this is interesting, because <laughs> usually we have red octopus mm-hmm. around here, which I've yeah, seen at Pillar Point. Yeah, it was one of the Point. two. I described it to an expert, and they were saying, huh, this sounds like a two-spot, but it might have been a red. Wow. Well, they're so amazing. It feels like you're watching an art show when you see mm-hmm. an, an octopus, yeah. right? They're just all over the place and changing right before your eyes. That's wonderful. I love hearing people's connections and when they fell in love with the ocean. I can't even remember mine. 
<laughs> but it's great. So I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the most current work. Charlie, you were just at a very important meeting. And this is where I, I find it to be interesting, a youth-led organization where the youth really want to speak out in an adult-led world where they have meetings and specific policies of the way they work. And I'm curious how that feels to you as a, a younger person and you as an adult how those two worlds intersect. And maybe we could focus on that as an example, the meeting that you were just recently at, the Pacific Fisheries Management Council meeting, right? Yeah, so at the council, I testified on deep-sea corals, um, because coral is part of my focus area. And it's a little-known fact that we have deep-sea corals on the California coast and also on the U.S. West Coast. And so we were in Portland, Oregon, and I was talking about how these um, important corals, these important reefs, are being affected by bottom trawling, and I did not expect to get emotional, but all of a sudden I did, and I think a part of that that was useful was that it also brought out this realization that this is really important (coughs) to me, to these adults. And I feel like one of the harder parts of being in a mainly adult-led world of ocean conservation is they don't expect you to know the science. They expect, oh, this little kid loves the ocean and she wants to save dolphins or she wants to protect the corals or the octopus. And I feel like when us youth share the knowledge that we know of, adults are really taken back and they're surprised. And they didn't expect us to know oh, about this specific type of coral in the deep sea that is very valued for jewelry, black corals, or the gold corals. And another part of that is when we're going to special events, we might not get, might, we may, might not get in because it's deemed an adult event. Um, mm-hmm. For example, like a dive event we were unable to go to because kids weren't allowed, hmm. um, which is very interesting because they want a youth there. Hmm. So I feel like a lot of these events are exclusively for adults, and then some adults are taken back when youth know about the problems and want to contribute to solutions. Great. Thank you for sharing that experience. I can, I can understand that frustration. How about you, April? Uh, it's definitely been an interesting journey for me to watch um, and experience because as Charlie was mentioning, you know, with the when when she's referring to events, some of them are important um, human impact conferences, where or or even um, Ashland's really involved in processing policy making, and so to have Congresspersons being um, in a room with the general populace to discuss, for instance, oil spill issues, um, or whether or not we're going to drill off our California coast. Um, what I'm consistently hearing and seeing is this is for adults and largely those in the room are white educated gray-haired adults and I keep looking around and thinking everything they're talking about the people who are most impacted aren't in this room right now Mm -hmm. and so let's and and for for me to get a space (coughs) for the heirs at their ages into these rooms it has been an uphill battle. Like it's, it's as much as we see marginalized communities consistently, especially I think in our country due to the historical fabrics, um, youth indiscriminately, um, just their age, mm-hmm. they're marginalized and excluded. Yet they're going to be the ones 
facing the bigger issues at hand. Absolutely. So it's it's something that I definitely have um, pushed. And I don't want to say in a bullish way. I'll say in a resolute way. But, you know, the mama bear comes out where, no, 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 these, these discussions need to be had with our with our youth and, and listen to them, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have made headway. I mean, errors, I think, is on the map in in some regards for certain. But it hasn't it hasn't been easy and it still isn't. But as much as we can, which is why I so appreciate you inviting youth voices on your show, because to get their perspective amplified is it's, in, it's imperative. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I want to compliment you guys on is you're very effective in your tone and your style of communicating. I've seen some of the films that you've produced, some on your website, um, some that were submitted to the Ocean Film Festival and very articulate and look at the camera and you've had some coaching and help and they're much more effective than some of the other films that I've seen where it's not the greatest audio or visuals and so I really commend you on that and also some of the things I've seen you speak at some of the speeches online so you're really I've worked at your communication skills which is one of the probably the biggest things do either of you want to talk about what it was like to kind of pick up on start talking about these in big audience in front of big audiences about these issues you can both take a turn so this is Charlie speaking I've always been really public speaking since a young age. We had country day, so we would uh, we'd have a country be picked for us, for example, France or Costa Rica. And then each of us kids would pick like a subject we wanted to talk about. For example, France, I talked about one of their famous singers, Edith Piaf. And then we would speak and give facts about this subjects life or what it's like the culture and we'd share with other kids um, about that country and so I was used to public speaking I've always done an acting class called or with Shakespeare but bringing it to a new level and speaking to other kids who I don't know was definitely a different and more scarier experience for me also speaking for example on a radio show or on a tv show was also new and different for me. Um, It's weird not to see your audience's face. And I feel like it was a harder transition to learn and create this presentation that's based off of real scientific data that if I get wrong could really reflect upon me from talking to my friends about Spain. (laughs) Nice. How about you, Ashlyn? Yeah, I started learning how to present and getting skills to learn how to present about two years ago. And I used to do an improvisational acting class before where I would act in front of people, but that was like as a different character. And I didn't really have to present anything scientific. I just had to say a few funny lines and sing a song and then I was done. And then I joined Ayers, and I had to develop these skills to bring this message to kids all over the world. So I started taking a class with a wonderful, uh, what is she called? Like, um, she's someone that helped me learn how to present. Her name is Winifred Hagem, and she's just a wonderful person in general. And that gave me so many more skills that I didn't think I would, like, have to use in so many different ways. Now... I can walk up to people and talk, and I can present on a stage, no matter if the audience is smaller or larger or anything like that. Of course, in the beginning, 
I was super, super scared of presenting, but after a while I got used to it and now I love to present and I love to be dynamic and reach people all over the world. That's great. So, uh, you know, something I'm hearing over and over again is reaching other students around the world and bringing more students and youth into this movement. Does AIRS have a movement afoot right now to start up other clubs or um, action groups of youth that you're trying to grow so to magnify your voice? Yeah, so we present at schools and at different conferences, and almost always we get a nice beneficial response. I think our executive director could speak more to the issues that are coming with starting new chapters, but otherwise... It turns out that kids are very, very responsive to something that they care about, and many people care about the oceans. We have currently four chapters, or actually more than four chapters now, but there are chapters in four different areas. Um, In Palau, which is a nation, an island nation in Micronesia, so it's southwest of Guam, and also, there's several chapters there, and then there's also a chapter in Pescadero, and the Founding Heirs chapter, and then there's a uh, chapter in Orange County. What's the connection to Micronesia, Palau? So, our executive director went to Palau for a law internship, and we really have seen the issues with the oceans there, and the marine sanctuary they made was incredible to us when we first went there. So that was definitely part of the first inspiration. Um, We've known some of the people there before. It's overall been a beautiful, it's a beautiful place as well. Um, It's highly biodiverse. There we go. Um, It's a very important place for oceans. And I would imagine they're really on the forefront of ocean change, being an island nation with sea level rise and food and really dependent on the health of the ocean. So very probably engaged and interested to participate, too. Yeah. um, Our last year, we did a human impact on our oceans and youth empowerment camp. And we kind of became like an ocean protecting family. And it was really interesting to learn more about the marine environment in Palau. Like we knew about the shark sanctuary and the MPA, the marine protected area there. But we didn't know so much about like the actual chemistry of the oceans or on land, like the taro patches and how that intersects with climate change in the oceans. It was really cool to learn about the whole ecology and ecosystem in Palau. Have you thought about bringing airs to students in the interior United States, away from the ocean, that their lives are affected by the ocean too, but they may not have that connection? Have, have you all thought about that? Definitely. We used to have a chapter in Kansas. I'm not sure what happened to that chapter, but we're definitely thinking about reaching people all across the country because no matter where you live, all waterways are connected to the ocean, and everyone is going to be affected by climate change and by our oceans being depleted. And it's really important to spread that message and get kids involved no matter where they are. Fantastic. So I think we'll just take a quick break right now and come back in a few minutes and talk about some of the successes that you've had, and we'll be back
So you're tuned in to Ocean Currents here, and we're talking with heirs to our ocean. And we're talking about some of the challenges and the successes of youth speaking up for the ocean. And April, I wanted to come back to that. We were just talking a little bit about other chapters for heirs to our oceans. And you made connection with Kansas, which is great, away from the ocean. And what were you? how did you land with Kansas? So my husband's from Kansas. And we really felt that so important to us. One thing that the heirs did was went to Standing Rock because we understand so well the importance of water as life. And we are a blue planet. We're a a water planet, and it all connects to the ocean. And so that's a big premise of heirs to our oceans. And so in Kansas, we um, really tried to land right in the middle of America, and we spent four days in four different schools, um, fantastic presentations, great response. But the biggest challenge we found, and this was a year ago now, was ultimately the adult support. Um, and I think with the current climate is very, very challenging. Believe it or not, we can hold hands and and get more momentum happening across the Pacific in island nations right now, where we have three solid chapters in Palau, one in Guam, several heirs throughout Micronesia, individual heirs. Easier, believe it or not, than to go off our coast here in the U.S. because of the challenges with adult support politically. Um, I'm, we're, we're not giving up. We're hoping this is going to be something that we um, can can crack that nut as time goes on. And uh, so we're, we're working on something special for next year um, in that regard. It's going to be an, another one of our very effective two-week camps where we're going to bring in folks who have been segregated, marginalized, alienated from one another in the various communities into um, a one-purpose, protect-our-oceans-and-waterways-together room for two weeks. Um, to start making headways around that in in the U.S. inland, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's a it's easier for us to take a twenty four hour flight to Micronesia to get things started. Interesting. Not. I'm curious if Kansas has adopted the next generation science standards. Not every state in the United States has, but these new standards are really about doing science and acknowledging all the different aspects of science and the environment. And they're much more positive and innovative for becoming thinkers and thinking about the planet. So I'm kind of curious if they have adopted them in that state. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'll have to find out. My husband's mother is a retired educator, so I'll find out. It'll be interesting. Well, great. Good. That's fantastic. You know, I know there's been some successes in Colorado. The Colorado Ocean Coalition has been building momentum with people in Colorado. Super effective. So there's a potential. You just got to keep hammering down the doors. And I think that might be one of the learning lessons and one of the challenges that you might be facing. Um, That's what I wanted to ask is what do you perceive as the biggest challenges to making progress on the issues that you're working on and your other heirs colleagues are? I think one of the biggest challenges is really inspiring those who didn't care, those who don't care. And those who don't or didn't care are the ones that are most important to inspire because they're the ones who are going to take more action uh, in their lives when they are empowered. Um, An amazing and beautiful story about this is the girl who started our chapter in Guam. She didn't know about the oceans very much, even though she's an islander. Um, And that's one, unfortunately, one of the challenges there is because uh, in Micronesia, the 
school systems don't allow them to get out into nature very often. They don't get to go out onto the water very often. And so she didn't know much about the ocean. She came into our camp a little bit late because that's the only time the flights would allow her. And she was very homesick and she didn't know she was coming to camp until the day before. Mm. And she turned out to be one of the most empowered youth leaders. And she ran for class president in one back in her home at Guam, and she has started one of the most successful heirs chapters, and we're very proud of her, and I'm excited to see her next year, or this year, actually, at the camp as a youth leader instead of as a participant. So she will be uh, in one of the roles that some of the U.S. heirs were in last year as a youth leader. And I'm very excited. I think that's one of the most important things is to empower those who didn't care at first um, because they will be the ones who care the most. That's a fantastic story. Now, this camp, is this a two-week camp? And is this really focused on generating, like, action plan for the future for advocacy and speaking out? Or is it more about let's learn about this environment and the interconnections? Or, or is it a little bit of both? So this camp is a human impact on our oceans and youth empowerment camp. Last year it was 10 days with almost 30 kids. This year it'll be two weeks with 40 kids. And this camp, in this camp we learned about the Palawan ecosystem and we learned about um, what is affecting Palau now. Um, for example, climate change is affecting one of their main food sources, which is taro. And it's also about like learning public speaking skills, uh, human chem connectivity. Um, it's a very interesting experience to go into a new culture and learn about a new culture. And we only knew a few of the kids there who we had met previously in other Palau trips. And so it was really cool to make new friends who look different, like the diff different things in you. Um, and it really shows how far you can go if you have the same passion as someone else. And so during this camp, we learned human connectivity, public speaking skills, how to be an empowered youth. And those of us who were supposed leader heirs, who taught about some of the scientific stuff that we had known, we learned stuff, we learned new information from the Palauan heirs. They also taught us. Um, and it was a really amazing experience overall. That's fantastic. Now, you also have something else coming up in June. March for the Ocean is coming up, and I understand Ayers is very involved in helping shape this march. So who wants to talk a little bit about March for the Ocean? Uh, yeah, March for Oceans is happening June 9th in Washington, D.C. Uh, Ayers to our Oceans has been very involved in helping shape this march, and originally it was led mostly by adults, and so we're trying to get more youth involved and questioning how we can really bring youth around this event because they're going to be the most affected by the oceans in the future. And it's very important to get them inspired and very important to get them marching together for one cause. What is the March for the Ocean about? So the March for our Oceans for us is not only about the oceans, but it's also about our waterways because it's all interconnected. So we will be marching not only for the oceans, but for our waterways, for our the water in Flint, Michigan, for the Amazon and the other uh, waterways that are being impacted by illegal mining. We will be marching for all waterways for protection of all water, not only because our oceans are 
one of the most important part bodies of water, but also because our fresh water is where we it's where we get our drinking water. Our fresh water is what feeds our crops. And even though it's not most of the water on the planet, it's the most important water on the planet. So you're trying to get some other youth to come participate at this event. I'm assuming there'll be speakers. And where is it happening? Is it in front of the White House? So um, June 9th is the actual march, but there will be a gathering of youth and different events, um, the 7th, 8th, 9th. And the, the it, it's been interesting to have been on the um, steering committee for the last, since actually we started processing this last summer, because there's definitely, we're watching some growing pains as things shift, and there's becoming a paradigm shift where those who have led the way and are our, our wonderful ocean hero, ocean elders, the youth, though, are, are coming in in full force, and we're seeing that in many regards to rising up from oppressive situations, from mm-hmm. Parkland to the Our Children's Trust um, action, Juliana versus U.S., with young plaintiffs bringing action against the U.S. around climate change. And so you're you're seeing in this last year this amazing trajectory with youth rising up. So it's interesting to watch it around March for the Ocean because you're seeing this collision of the old traditional ways meet the, the new resolute and uh, we need to do things differently perspective. So there there are two different perceptions coming into the room around it. And it, it'll be an interesting thing to, I think, see each org come in depending on where it aligns traditionally or more youth and paradigm shifting oriented and still bringing their message but doing it together. So it's not as Charlie said a march for the ocean for us. It is truly a march for our future which is what the heirs at their heirs retreat process is to really be. It has to be about our future and water is life and so it's it's and we have had enough and yes time's up. Like bringing all those pieces into what is this march about? It's it's recognizing that we need to rise up on our water planet. Fantastic. I can't wait to see. I hope it's as publicized as the other ones are and all over the place so people can hear everybody speaking about this important topic. I know you're working on a film. This has been a project to try to grow the AIRS networks, and you're working on a film. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the film, or do one of you want to talk about it? So we're making out a full feature documentary that will include action, um, It'll include scientific data, so what's happening to our oceans here and now and what will be happening to our oceans and our planet in the future. And it's also going to include comedy, so we're doing a (laughs) plastic buster skit that's based off of Ghostbusters, but instead of ghosts, we are busting plastic because that's one of the main impacts to our oceans. And we have over or almost a thousand hours of footage now, but... We're hoping to have the film done by June of next year. Is that correct? Yeah, that's June of next year. So I'm very excited for that to come out. And I hope that by the time we do have it out, it's going to be an incredible piece of art, um, just like Mission Blue was by Dr. Sylvia Earle. Um, That was a very inspiring movie, and I hope that our movie inspires as well. Yeah, I've seen film being such a role for communicating these days and moving people to change and moving to people to action because they've been moved by a film. And I think that's a wonderful way to bring the art and the science to new audiences and maybe grow your network. I have a, a little clip here we can play from your teaser, which is on your website. So stand by. Let's see if we can pull this up. 
San Jose had an Air Store Oceans Club in school, we'd probably have this message out pretty fast. So we really need kids all over the nation to help with this project. The kids who are doing this are going to send a message out to society. They should not be taken captive. That, wow, these kids are actually getting outside of their comfort zone. Hello. And they're telling us something that's really important. The best way for people to learn about orcas is not through seeing them in tanks. Hi, I'm Charlie, and I'm going to be talking about how we are going to connect with an island nation, Palau. We want to collaborate... Exciting. This is a great little teaser on your website. <laughs> so this is going to, is this one way you might be able to invite others to become part of the AIRS network is through, if this film is completed, being able to distribute this? and Yeah, it is. Um, we can't fly everywhere. <laughs> we don't want to fly everywhere. You know, we're very aware of carbon emissions and we, we, we buy our offsets. But nonetheless, you know, once, once the film is made, hopefully that can be distributed in a way that not only inspires youth, to be aware at an early age of, of ocean protection, but also adults to support them, hopefully everywhere. So that's the intention. Fantastic. Good luck with that. And I guess people can learn more about this film by going to your website. And what's your website? Our website is airstoreoceans.com. On it, we have blog posts, our teaser, and how you can donate and support us. Fantastic. Well, I just want to say we have about a minute left, and I want to give you an opportunity just to share any last words that you'd like to leave with listeners about the work that you're doing, the passion that you have for helping protect the ocean and bring more people into this movement. I think I'd like to say that what you can do to protect our oceans, you can reduce single-use plastics in your life, so bottles, bags, plastic utensils, coffee lids. You can also walk or bike to school or work. You can uh, turn off your AC during the summer or turn off your heater during the winter. Sweaters are very useful. (laughs) Um, There are many solutions. Uh, On our website, we do have a solutions infographic yeah there we go (laughs) and i think that everyone can do small parts to save the ocean and that's one of the most important parts of getting the community involved is small actions added up create a big action thanks charlie yeah i'll say don't be afraid to make change don't be afraid to take the next steps in order to save our world because anyone can do it fantastic thanks ashlyn Adults out there, please make space for your kids to learn about what they are going to inherit and um, encourage them to process solutions and also give them space to follow their passions. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been really inspiring listening to you all talk about where you're going. And I have a lot of hope that this is going to grow, this movement to bringing more youth into bringing people into the, the fold of helping to take care of the ocean And the whole planet. I mean, the ocean is most of the planet. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. you. Well, we're going to take a break here and actually play our Positively Ocean episode for the month. We are actually focusing on a fantastic story that is all about straws 
And what, um, along with the single-use plastics effort that Charlie mentioned earlier, there's a lot of work going on on trying to reduce the single-use straws being used in restaurants and, and eateries. So stay tuned for Positively Ocean. Hi, this is Positively Ocean, where we celebrate the ocean and look at what's working well. I'm Liz Fox. If you're not on the beach right now, you're probably dreaming about being on one. Imagine the waves lapping, salty air, maybe a lighthouse horn in the distance. You sit and stretch out in the warm sand, dig your feet in, and feel the unmistakable rigidity of a plastic straw. Chances are, if you've been to a beach, you've seen a straw or two. That's because our oceans are teeming with discarded single-use plastics that make our on-the-go lifestyle seem convenient and flexible. But along the California coast, communities are working to make meaningful change, and their efforts are spreading. Jackie Nunez is the founder of The Last Plastic Straw and program director of the Plastic Pollution Coalition. She had her last plastic straw in 2009. Since then, she's told her story around the world to show the impact of passive choices. When I got served my, my little last straw at a beachside bar in Santa Cruz looking over at Monterey Bay, I mean, sanctuary, you know, get water, and then it comes with a straw in it. I'm like, what the heck? And that was it. Reducing plastic straws seemed like a simple change with a big environmental impact, she said. First, straws are usually unnecessary, and straws made of paper, metal, glass, or compostable material can replace plastic for people who need help swallowing or lifting a drink, Nunez said. You know, really, that's the gist of it, right? Wants and needs. Do we really need this? Leaders from Santa Monica to Davis and from San Luis Obispo to Berkeley are even changing the laws. Some cities choose straws upon request policy. In fact, the state assembly will vote on similar legislation later this year. Berkeley has a most comprehensive proposal requiring alternatives to plastics for straws in local restaurants. The bill that Councilwoman Sophie Hahn introduced goes even further. It would add a 25-cent fee for single-use cups and to-go containers and require that all single-use items are recyclable or compostable within the city's refuse system and require eat-in establishments to serve food with reusable dishes and cutlery. The legislation passed its first hurdle in April and will return to city council for a final vote in the fall. Han said she hopes the new rules will reduce the $11 million annually that the city spends to clean streets, sidewalks, and waterways and to empty public trash cans. We have been cleaning up the garbage generated by this proliferation of the fast food idea. They are profiting, and the cost of cleaning up after it has fallen to cities and other public agencies, and it's fallen to our environment. John, a UC Berkeley student, recently ordered lunch at the downtown Subway sandwich shop. A clerk handed him a single-use cup with a plastic straw and a plastic lid so he could fill up at the soda fountain. He said he hadn't heard of the new legislation. He said he thought it was a good idea, but... A lot of things we use are plastic, so straws weren't really at the forefront And that's a point Nunez has been drilling for years. You know, nobody sets out to to pollute the planet. We're just not aware. And we've been sold this convenience and all this plastic is just in our lives, whether we ask for it or not. And it's kind of a a wake-up moment where people are like, you know, we don't really need this stuff. She knows awareness brings change. Since 2009, she's been the unofficial aggregator for global ditch-the-straw efforts. 
Usually, a group starts with a beach cleanup, and after finding plastic straws, they ask local restaurant owners to rethink putting one in every drink every time. Then, in 2015, came the video. Christine Figener, a marine biologist, netted a female Kemp's Ridley turtle with something protruding from its nose. She filmed for eight excruciating minutes as her colleague tugged and pulled at it with pliers. The turtle bled throughout the grueling extraction. Halfway through, the team identified the object. Here's Figener at the time. Plastic? Is it a straw? Don't tell me it's a freaking straw. A straw? A straw? Plastic straw? That is just stupid. That's plastic. So this is the reason why we do not need plastic straws. The video went viral and a sea change ensued. And it's not just local governments that are eliminating plastic. In mid-April, Theresa May announced the United Kingdom will ban the sale of all single-use plastic, including straws, stirrers, and cotton swabs in 2019. And that's an example of folks doing right by the ocean. Until next time, I'll be searching for all things Positively Ocean. For Ocean Currents and KWMR Radio, this is Liz Fox reporting in Berkeley, California. Thank you, Liz Fox, for putting that story together about straws. It's very exciting to see all the momentum, people getting involved and speaking up about removing straws from restaurants and not just handing them out. And I hope that momentum continues. And I know heirs will be involved in helping spread that word with the single-use plastics as well. Ocean Currents is the first Monday of every month at our new time, 11 a.m. to 12. Ocean Currents also has a Twitter feed. You can follow at OceanKWMR to get information about this program and supporting links on the web about each show and the topics that we cover on Ocean Currents. So check that out. I love hearing from listeners. So if you have ideas for topics, questions, comments, please email me at cordellbank at noaa.gov or tweet at OceanKWMR. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the ocean, bay, or whatever body of water you can get into safely. This has been Ocean Currents here. Take care. Thank you for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marine Community Radio KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To contact the show's host, Jennifer Stock, email me at jennifer.stock at noaa.gov. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov. Thanks to bensound.com for royalty-free music for the Ocean Currents podcast. For more info, visit www.bensound.com.